Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And you guys are not going to believe who I have on the show today. I have the one and only Mr. Pat Hilton on the show. And he is the marketing entrepreneur. <laughs> I think I got it right. So, hey, stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Pat on. Pat, I saw you dancing backstage, dude. Oh, that's a nice groovy intro there. I like that. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. So <laughs> coming from you, that means a lot for real. That's smooth. I like lot. it. I like it. Thank you. So we have some rock stars already joining us here on the live stream. Um, Pat, you know, I created this show. It's literally been... I think almost, ex I got to go look, man. I don't know the exact date, but it was April three years ago that I created this show. And and it's it's all about helping people get unstuck. Have you ever been stuck in life? Oh yeah, plenty of times. Sure. So, so it's about like, you know, telling your story and, 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 you know, kind of sharing how you got through the ups and downs. And so, so let's start with where you were born and raised. So, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up, uh, my parents met, I believe at a Led Zeppelin concert. I think my dad jumped on the hood of the car drunk and met my mom. And she was like, Oh, I'm never going to date that guy. And here we are, here we are 40 years later or whatever it is. So, um, you know, old school, uh, old school parents, but, uh, my dad had a big, huge record collection and that's why I brought up the Led Zeppelin thing. And so when I was growing up, I used to listen to a lot of like orchestra and jazz music and like Herbie Hancock and Maynard Ferguson and earth, wind and fire and all kinds of really good stuff. The OJs. And, uh, you know, I like the classic rock, your Boston and your Skinner and all this kind of stuff. And yeah. it really kind of, you know, um, gave me a lot of views on culture and, and how I, went about my life was very musical. There's always something playing in my head. And when you're a kid, people tell you you're crazy when you say that out loud. Oh, he's got something playing in his head. There's got to be something wrong with this guy. Plus, he's super hyper. So he's obviously not like everyone else. And so right. I think that one of the things I learned later in life was that not being like everyone else is good. Um, yeah. being different and being unique makes you stand out. And if you're not standing out in today's marketing world, you're not breaking through walls. And so the whole point of us, people like Ken and I collaborating and supporting each other is that we lift each other up. And so I appreciate you giving me a platform to come on and inspire others to just be them. And you're your best marketing advice. You, you can be you better than anyone else. So I always yeah. encourage people to embrace that because it, it can be hard when you're growing up and, and, you know, St. Louis is like a little big town and where everybody knows everybody. And so it can be really challenging to, um, to, to progress 
when, when you're in an area where everyone's kind of inside a wall, like everybody's kind of shoved in yeah. together and, and there's a lot of different viewpoints, but everyone wants to kind of walk the line. You don't really want to veer too far off the line or be too wild. And it's just like, I guess I just couldn't help it. Ken. I guess I just couldn't help it. <laughs> well, you, I, you, you know, I had, um, I don't know if you know this or not. I had Andy Frisella on the show and I had his amazing wife, Emily on, and they're, they're, they're from St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> is everybody in St. Louis just really intense, man? Um, I, I, I kind of get that feeling. Well, I think that this goes down the line again of what we were talking about before. I mean, you've sought out people that are pushing the line. You've sought out people that are going above and beyond. And that's who we surround ourselves with yep. because we want to constantly get better. And uh, it's funny. I was actually talking to my wife this morning about Andy because I'm on the 75 hard. I'm on day nine. So, you know, if, yes, he, if dude, he sees this. It. If he sees this, he, go go check my seven seven media. I'm sure you got access to it because my day one picture and my day ten picture that I do, just took, like I'm already seeing oh, yeah. results. And it's I, do I have to do that? No, nope. I'm choosing to do that because I want to hold myself to a high standard this year. You know, um, yeah. and so like you said, yeah, there's some intense people, but. We look for those people. We look for those challenges. We don't want to be the smartest person in the room. We want right. to be around people that force us to level up. And so that's the whole point of, of doing shows like this and to be interviewing people and getting around people is to get that information that we need to grow. And I think so what, that what, like what? today and in, in this day and age, that's like, it shouldn't be rare, but I guess it kind of is. It's it, it it is, dude. But let let's go back to I, I always I, I feel like that that there's always a person or an event or something in our childhood that kind of pushes us in the direction that you know I, I I talk about this all the time, Pat. Like people need to learn how to just be themselves mm. and break free from the freaking programming that somebody else gave them in childhood. What was it in in your childhood that pushed you in the direction? I mean, I know you had the music and right. and all of that, but what, was there anything else that comes to mind, like this person or event? So, um, so it's kind of related to music, but it's also kind of related to education. So, I went to Clayton grade schools in St. Louis, and um, I th they did some good things. They did some things right. And they did some things wrong, just like any yeah. education system. Right. But yeah. one thing that they did right was this band class curriculum that they had. And so I, I love that this is live. M maybe she'll watch, maybe she won't, but I message her and tell her that I reference her on all these interviews. So there's this girl that I grew up with named Michelle Abrams, right? And Michelle Abrams, if you're on a test and you don't know the answers, you sit next to Michelle Abrams, okay? She's like yeah. just that kind of gal. Nice yeah. gal, smart gal, fun to be around. Like it was, I just, I grew up with smart people. And so I knew at a young age, you know, where I wanted to be based on what the smart gals were doing. Rebecca right. Rothbaum, Michelle Abrams, you know? And so we had a choice in third grade. And since I, like I said, I was into music, very young age as a kid, you know, and my dad never let me touch the records, by the way, for anyone out there who was like, oh, my God, his dad let him touch the Boston Pops record. No, he uh, always did. that. Right. But in third grade, you had a choice. You could go to computer class or you could go to band class. All the smart girls were signing up for band class. So, boom, 
picked up a trumpet because I thought, you know, three buttons can't be that hard, right, Ken? Three buttons. <laughs> but what I didn't realize, and you probably know this, is that like all the major theme songs and all the major orchestral movements, the lead part is the trumpet part. So literally right. the hardest part, like Star Wars or Rocky Balboa or Back yeah. to the Future, any of those famous songs that were like themes of like my childhood movies, it's yeah. all a trumpet part that is the lead high major part. You know right. what I'm saying? Jurassic right. Park, all of that kind of stuff. And so um, naturally I was like three buttons can't be that hard, but it ended up being the hardest. And so here's where, here's where I kind of answer your question with that. In that class, he would give book exercises. My my teacher was named Mr. Varley, and he would give us book exercises. And so, like, Michelle Abrams could always play hot cross buns perfectly. <laughs> I never practiced hot cross buns. I was learning my own versions of, like, Star Wars and Rocky and, you know, Jurassic Park and writing down what valve, like, two and three, one second, yeah. one and two, one and two, two and three. So I'd write down all the notes on my own little chart. And then I would play that for the test. And it got to a point where three, six months down the line, he'd be like, all right, well, Pat, what'd you learn this week? <laughs> and I'd be like, man, I learned this Birdland song by Maynard Ferguson, which is by the way, like an advanced jazz music uh, <laughs> yeah. movement. And I'm like in fourth grade and, and, and I don't even have a book for it. And I'm ripping Birdland off the top of my head. And the teacher's just like, oh my God. And then, okay, well, can you play exercise 23? And I'd, I'd butcher exercise 23, <laughs> but I could rip a Maynard Ferguson jazz lick and play the high part. Like I could play like the middle part, then like raise up into the high part, which is really hard to play. Yeah. And it was interesting because he always encouraged me to be creative and to play that first and no one else in the class could rip anything like that. But I always got like fifth or sixth chair because yeah. I couldn't play the exercise correctly. And he'd make us play these down the line in front of the entire class. And so I think that that, um, that like build up and that you're doing a great job. I never got that from any other teachers in school social wow. studies. It's like, oh man, I don't know. Pat doesn't pay attention well in social studies. Or Pat's just slow in math. You know, he's got uh, learning disabilities and he's hyperactive and he's ADD. It was, I was always an, an effing problem. Let's just be real. <laughs> it's like, you're always behind. And it's just like, it got to a point where like Mr. Varley was like, I've never seen anybody do this. It's brilliant. Uh, give me, give me one of those uh, songs, Pat. And then we're going to, then you got to play the exercise. You've been practicing the exercise and he'd almost kind of chuckle because he knew I never practiced the exercise one time, oh but I could God. rip the main theme of Superman, <laughs> right? which is not easy to play. It's way, a harder hot, way harder than hot cross buns on a but, trumpet. Right. But, but Michelle always got first chair because she could play hot cross buns perfectly. <laughs> But I think that the lesson is, is that like, I, I don't know that, I don't know that Michelle's goal was ever to make that a career. Like right. she's like a doctor at WashU or something now, which is, we're still friends on Facebook. That's why I always bring her up because I can like send her these clips and stuff and she yeah. still supports me. But it's interesting because that's all I wanted to do, man. That was the only positive feedback that I was getting in school. Wow. was, 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 that's what you're great at. 
And so wow. even, even out into my 20s and 30s, and like we talked about with the Grant Cardone situation, the way I got a hold of Grant was he posted on his on his wall, hey, I need to get verified on Instagram, you know, all you hustlers out there, you know, send me a, a poster or a soundbite or whatever, and I'll post it on my pages. And so I ripped a little verify Grant on Instagram song, and uh, Elena got it to him. And what do you know? I'm, I'm in touch with his team about a potential performance. And, you know, th the rest of the story is um, is the way it was. I mean, that's that's how we kind of came across each other. And so I think that that like she just said, Jill, like that Mr. Varley thing. Yeah. Until this day still impacts what I do with my career, because yeah. he was the first guy that was like, dude, this is brilliant. You don't even have sheet music for this. By the way, valve two and three, that's an A sharp. So you want to make sure that when you're filling out your charts, that's an A sharp. It's not valve two and three. You know what I mean? I'm Dude, like, that's my wife, by the way. My wife's bro, watching. No, it's valve two and three, Mr. Hart. You're just, you learned it backwards. You don't know what you're talking about. And so it was like a joke, but all the way up through eighth grade in this Clayton system, I mean, I could rip anything. Wow. It was amazing. So that, I also put in the work. I'd sit in the basement and, and mess it up for hours. Like if you ask my mom what the song Birdland is, she'd be like, oh my God, you never hear it again and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, so you took that through high school and yeah. did you go, did you go to college? Yeah. So I went to a recording school in Arizona. And so we talked about that too. So I had to eventually have that conversation with my dad. So I went to CBC high school. So I went to Clayton grade schools and CBC high school. If you're a St. Louis person, you understand why I'm referencing all that. Like Andy went to Viani, like St. Louis people. It's like, where'd you go to high school? Like right. I met some girl in Dallas last week and I'm like, where'd you go to high school? And she's like, Ledoux. And I'm like, CBC. It's just like, a thing in St. Louis. If you're from St. Louis and you're watching, you know what I'm talking about. But um, so I went to CBC High um, and then um, I, I went to Mizzou for one semester. And this was one of those examples of like playing it by the book. Yeah. My parents were like, you just need to go to the state college. You know, you can live with your best friend from high school and just pass your classes. And I, I wasn't doing very well in the classes. And I, I dropped a bunch of classes. So I didn't necessarily fail out. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. That's okay. So I didn't necessarily- I think it's the referencing of the- The, the three <laughs> valves. Look it up, baby. Three valves. So, um, you know, I, I just wasn't doing well. So I dropped it and went to community college. And then I had to negotiate with my dad because I had already pitched my dad on, will you send me to this audio production school in Arizona? And he was like, no, I don't know. It's not really a real college. And I'm like, okay, well, dad, anytime I play it by the book, it doesn't work out. And that's why I brought up the Mr. Volley thing. I'm like, anytime people push me to go do my thing, it works. And so eventually he buckled. And he sent me to Arizona to this production school for audio wow. and video and um, backed me up on it. And we had a deal that <laughs> if I graduate from the school, I go get a corporate audio job, a real job. And, and, then, and then he'll continue to help me, which pretty much meant daddy money bags was going to get my back if something went wrong. As long as I went by 
his version of what the book was, right? Yeah, yeah. So this should help everybody now talking about what we're talking about because everybody has been down this road. So I got the job, of course. I, I got great grades at this school. I excelled. I never missed one day of school in Arizona, graduated with like honors or whatever. And I went and I worked at this company in Las Vegas called Production Resource Group, PRG Audio. And I worked there for a while. I got some pretty big gigs. We did some pretty big corporate stuff. We built systems for Tom Petty. We built systems for Madonna, Depeche Mode, uh, Billy Joel and Elton John dueling pianos. And so we built some of the biggest rock and roll touring systems that ever existed. Aerosmith, we, we built Rolling Stone systems in conjunction with another company, but it was still our gear. And so I learned how to big ma- build massive audio systems for the biggest rock and roll tours on the planet. Wow. And, and so my dad was very happy because I was working for a job, right? It was a job. <laughs> right. And then, um, you know, I caught a wild hair up my ass and was like, well, I want to be Tom Petty. <laughs> right. So I quit the Did job. Did you have a breakdown? So I quit the job. And this was after meeting a lot of these people. And they were like, man, your personality. I mean, you should just go out and do your own thing. And so I quit the job based on some of the feedback that I got and moved back home. Yes, Conservatory Recording Arts in uh, in Arizona, Greg. That's the, that's the place I went. And I graduated in like 2004. Um, so... Uh, So yeah, and then I worked uh, in Las Vegas. We did the big tours and we did the big systems. I quit and I moved back home and I didn't tell my dad that I quit. And I knocked on the door and I'm like, hey, dad, you know, I'm I'm back. I'm going to start my own touring business and I'm going to entertain and travel. You know, it's it's what I've been doing on on the off season of touring and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you're not doing that here. (laughs) And I'm like... Well, yeah. I mean, like I'm here, like I'm here, man. I mean, like, what? come on, man. Welcome home. Right. (laughs) And this is where I think that the, the, the spoiled kid that's, that's a little bit of a dipshit gets a reality check by getting kicked in the nuts because my dad was like, no, like you're literally not living in my house and doing that. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? And he's like, you want to do that? That is breaking our deal. Our deal was you go to the conservatory school, you go get a corporate audio job, you build your way up in the system, you become a production manager, you get your own health insurance and like get married and have kids and like, that's your life. Right. You broke the deal. Okay. So if you want to do this, you go fund it, you go take care of it, you go make it happen, but you're not doing it in my house. Wow. And I'm like, oh dude, what? I'm like, <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Dad. Okay. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But this is why I brought up the story in grade school. I I never got first chair because I didn't want to play by the rules of how the test worked. Right? Yeah. So despite the fact that I was, in my opinion, the best player in the room, according to the way that the grading scale worked, I was the sixth best out of 13. Yeah. So this was the same situation, despite the fact that I had worked all these huge tours, that I had all this experience now, that I was really, really good at computer systems and technology. It didn't add up in my dad's head. He's like, well, then if you're so great, you go figure it out on your own. And so things got really hard at that point because, you know, I had two choices. I could either go back 
or I could find some kind of corporate gig using my dad's connections in St. Louis, which I didn't want to work for those people. Right. And so I went and called my friend, Brad, my friend, Brad Griffin, who's on my Facebook page as well. And I said, Hey man, we're going to start a band. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I'll play bass. And I'm like, I know. And so we started a band and we, we literally, I was sleeping on his floor at the time. I had no computer, nothing. I would use his MacBook to learn how to design posters. And boom, we had the best posters in town. I would yeah. use his MacBook to like figure out how to draw up little videos. And boom, we had the best promos in town. Three months later, we had a, a demo record that we recorded in our friend's garage. And we took our act all the way from St. Louis to Whiskey A Go Go in Hollywood. And we were getting potential record contracts from, you know, uh, some pretty big companies, you know? And so wow. now a few years later, I, I decided that, you know, I was pretty much doing most of the work. Brad uh, went and joined the army, my buddy Brad. So he wasn't in the band anymore. And wow. so I went solo and I became Pat, the marketing acoustic guy. And this was, I was still sleeping on people's floors living out of friends' basements, driving all over the country, traveling with Afro Man and Coolio and Cypress Hill as an opening act and then doing all the marketing, all the ticketing, all the promos for these for these people. Did you did you just say Coolio? Coolio, you remember Gangster's Paradise? Of course. Dude, that's why I'm so good at rapping because Dude, I smoked blunts in alleyways with genre, Coolio is, for years. Is that the genre that you were in? Um no. I can't see an acoustic rapper. Come on. So no, it wasn't. But I was so good at marketing them and, and wow. selling out venues with them that I, I mean, there were times where I was the only dude that looked like me in a venue. Wow. But I would go up there and, and just with me and a guitar, get people pumped up. So I was kind of like an intro act. It's just like you saw me do it. 10 acts. It was yeah. only 10 minutes. Yeah. So sure. that like 10, I'd go up there for like 10 minutes. I would mix in like gin and juice and like all kinds of stuff that played to that audience yeah. into my repertoire and then sucker them in and then introduce the main act. Gotcha. So I would get it louder and louder and louder and louder by nine and a half minutes. They're really feeling good, but it's also time to let go because as an acoustic performer, it's kind of like background music, but I kind of yeah. like made it a show. And yeah. so I was pretty much the intro for these guys and the marketing guy. And then, so once they came on stage, I would move back into the back and I would DJ for them. So wow. I'd like hang the acoustic guitar on a stand and jump into the back and kick on their song. And then boom, like they were in action. So there was like no break. It like went together. Wow. Dude, it totally worked. Dude, that is freaking awesome. That's why you hear me on clubhouse rapping and shit. Cause it's easy. I, you know what? I, I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever been in a clubhouse room with you. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I like kick on beats and like make up raps and like introduce people and like room reset and all that stuff. It's funny. That's awesome. But I, I had to figure out how am I going to put all these talents together because corporate, I'm a sound guy essentially. So how am I going to use the sound guy expertise to be an entertainer? But yeah. how am I going to be an entertainer and a sound guy if I can't market the show and, and get people into the audience? I've got to align myself with people that have a built-in audience. And and Coolio and, and my buddy Joe, Afro Man, were the only people that would work with me because I was so out there. <laughs> wow, dude. So, dude, those kinds of, you know, uh, rap artists that were like, 
had super hot hits in like the mid nineties and early two thousands were the guys that were like, dude, we think you're great. Yeah. And so those guys kind of embraced my style and, you know, they got me way nicer, uh, hotel rooms than anybody else. So God bless them. So and they you brought me up you, in the game. You toured with Coolio. Yeah. The gangster's dude, paradise. I, I think I was listening to gangster's paradise in like, like 95, a couple days ago. Dude, it's a legendary <laughs> track. He murdered that verse. Oh, I, know. I know, man. It's a shame that weird Al did that, uh, did um, that Amish Paradise because the Amish Paradise was so good. It kind of took a little heat off old Coolio. <laughs> you know, I think he's still a little bitter about that. I never, I, tr I try to make sure I never bring that up around him. <laughs> that's funny, dude. But those so, guys, uh, those guys embraced the wildness. They were yeah. like, this is so wild. And as long as you keep it to nine minutes and then jump back to the DJ rig and turn on the track, yeah. I, I don't see why it wouldn't work. And it totally worked. So tell me, tell me this, because there's, there's a similar situation I had, um, <laughs> when I, when I left home at 17, cause I was going to go, you know, do the adult thing. I was tired of the rules. And, and I remember going three days without food and I knock Ooh. on the door going, Hey mom. Uh, and she's like, Oh no, you want to be a man. Now go, go be a man. <laughs> and I was like, Wow. So I haven't eaten in three days. It probably wasn't three days, but, but it you felt know, like it, it I know did. that feeling. It was probably like five hours or something. <laughs> you know, I know. You start freaking out like, Oh God, I don't have any money and I got to eat. Die. But, but so, so, you know, talk about the, the moment that your, your dad showed some tough love and and said no how how resentful were you in that oh, in that moment i was super pissed and i was like uh, and again I, and that's why i bring it up that you know i went to great grade schools went to a yeah. private catholic high school he totally paid for me to go to the studio school and all of this kind of stuff that's why i make sure that i draw that out for people yeah. because i had a lot going for me um but i think that as that happened, like the business landscape was changing. It was becoming way less suit and tie and way more alternative. It was becoming way more about like faces of brands rather than just like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and like Ford. It was way more like Justin Timberlake was a brand. Yeah. And like NSYNC and Universal like weren't. Like people were like now everyone knows Elon Musk owns Tesla right now. Everyone knows that, that this person um, is associated with this hedge fund. And when they sold this amount of stocks right before it crashed, they made this amount of, but like everyone knows that stuff now, but yep. that transition was kind of happening, which is why I was like, this is how I pitched my dad. If you allow me to learn the skills behind, you know, the video camera and the microphone and the production and yeah. how the stage works and all these things, I'll always have a gig. And while it was kind of tough for him to understand, he's like, okay, well, I mean, he's a numbers guy. You can see him running the numbers in his head. Well, I mean, if he can get this and that and the other thing, maybe he makes fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, at least survive. You almost see him yeah. like the number crunching. He's like the wow. Ben Matlock of accountants. <laughs> and so it's just like he he gave me the benefit of the doubt, but 
I was pissed because I quit the corporate job and I asked him for help. And I thought, oh, well, he'll buy me the MacBook Pro and he'll buy me the microphone and he'll buy me this and he'll buy me that. But when he didn't, I was pissed at first. But now that I look back, it was the best thing that ever happened. Look, look what Charles <laughs> Yeah, it probably was, man. It probably was. And, you know, that's actually, it's funny, Charles, that you say that because there's a joke and my buddy Joe uh, Foreman is Afro man. And he always used to have this song about having the, having the white boy drive so that we don't get pulled over as much. And I swear <laughs> to God, that's a real song that he has. So anybody who has a problem with that, go listen to the song. Like my friend wrote the song. It's funny. And so I would always like drive the car during the day. And like, we never had problems. It'd be like a cop behind us. I'm like, Oh, we're good. He's like, we good white boys driving. So it was kind of a joke that we had. We all had this like joke. It got the collared shirt on, you know, the khaki oh, pants, freaking awesome. the new balance shoes. Those guys were like, dude, you literally look like a, a frat boy every time you go on stage, but it seems to work for you. So great. But yeah, my That's dad so telling me no was, was a blessing. I just didn't know it until years and years down the line, because he's like, listen, I, I could buy this kid everything he wants, but is that really going to get him the results down the line that he needs? Right. And so while I was pissed at first, he, he up and his end of the bargain, he paid for me to get the education, help me, <laughs> help me, um, get the corporate gig. And then I had everything I needed up here. Yeah. I just had to now convert that in the real world and turn that into an actual business model. And so that took quite a while because I didn't really know anything about business. I was just a people person. Right. That's why people in those productions, like the Tom Petty's or the teams that worked with Madonna or the teams that worked with Aerosmith or whoever else liked having me in that like production manager position. It wasn't yeah. because I knew anything about audio. It's because I had fun and made everybody feel good. They played better when I was checking my guitar and checking all the lines on the thing, making up songs about we're in freaking Red Rocks, Colorado. They're like this guy's hilarious. This guy gives us zero stress walking onto that, onto that stage because if it works for his dumb ass, it's definitely going to work for us. <laughs> he's a he's a great production manager, you know. And so, um, you know, oh my God. him saying no and forcing me to go against the book was kind of like the challenge that I needed to accelerate and be willing to do anything to get the job done. And that led to me accepting the fact that I had to get out of those bar venues. I had to quit drinking alcohol. I had to quit roasting blunts in the alleyway with the homies. And there's nothing wrong with those guys. They paved the way for me to be successful and they gave me those opportunities. But that lifestyle, I had to cut it. Yeah. You know, wow. I'm 34, 35 years old. You know, I was finally getting around the Cardones and the Brad Lees and the Kevin Harringtons and the whoever else. And it's just like, yeah. if you really want to turn this into like an agency, you got to cut out certain things that are toxic to your potential overall success. And so those are decisions you have to make. Was there, was there a time along this? Cause you said this was uh what circa 2004, 2005 ish. So 2004, 2005, I graduated from the conservatory of recording arts and sciences and I moved to Vegas. Okay. Um, yes, dude, Charles, great dad. And, um, and so I worked for that company till about 
2007. I always think it's longer. I always think it's like 2010 or it's not. It was like two big summers of doing all the biggest shows. And I was like, all right, well, I've literally reached the pinnacle of sound guy stuff. I think we even did a couple rush shows, which in my opinion, rush is technically one of the best technical musical bands in the history of the planet. And this is with the original line first concert. Original lineup with Neil Peart, they shredded my face off and they were still kind of old and they busted my face off. It was like, oh, seven, summer, oh, seven or something like that. Dude, they were, they were, uh, I saw them in 1984 exit stage left, man. They were, I would actually argue that the, that the guitar player for Rush is one of the most underrated guitar players in the history of rock and roll. Amen. Totally agree. But my point was, is that I had gotten around some of the best players and some of the best songwriters and the best personas or characters in the entire industry. And, um, you know, we did warp tour too. And so that's where I met Joe and I met Coolio. They, they wrapped on warp tour main stages. And so, um, those were the guys that I had access to. So when he dropped the hammer on me and said, Hey, I'm not bankrolling this thing. I had to call in the cavalry and be like, all right, well, who can I work with? And this is a lesson for everybody. Who can you call when the game's on the line that's that's a little bit up here that can help you accelerate your progress to go to here? And that's what I called those guys for. My buddy Coolio has a draw. My buddy Afro Man, they have draws. And so while it might not have necessarily been my quote-unquote genre, I had to adapt to that genre or what happens. It's like I'm dead yeah. in the water. So you, you better figure out how to rap. <laughs> Or, and here's the secret, or use something that somebody's already done, remix it a little bit, and then use that. And that's exactly what I did. So I'd like play like gin and juice. I'd walk out there and I'd start just playing gin and juice real slow. And everybody knew that song. And then I'd switch. It was all one song. So I would use the same four chords and I would go between like 20 different songs in nine minutes. So it was like a DJ remix, almost like an EDM wow. DJ would do now. And so I'd play some gin and juice, and I'd flip into Black Street, No Diggity, and then I'd flip <laughs> into Usher, Yeah, and like do the ludicrous rap, and then I'd flip back into gin and juice, and, and uh, Fish does this. The Grateful Dead did this really well. They call it sandwiching songs. They call it making a song sandwich. And so uh, I would, I would build these sandwiches. You got a little salami, you got a little bologna, you know, maybe a little bit more salami there. And by the time it got to eight minutes, I would, I would bring those guy. I am the Joe. Uh, And so, uh, you know, adapting and, and figuring out how you're going to use your skills to, to match what the marketplace demands. Here's the other thing, what I wrote and what I sang was yeah. not what was hot in the marketplace. What Joe Fro, Afro Man sang, and what Coolio sang, and what Cypress Hill sang, that was what the marketplace was demanding. That's what those people were there to hear. So how am I going to mold and morph my little acoustic set to match that kind of energy, to match that kind of uh, delivery? Well, I had to kind of sing rap a little bit more. And so, you know, I was mixing in the Nelly and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of a cover skit. Wow. But, but I think that's an important thing because like right now, the live music industry is roasted. It's done right now. Uh, 
but the fact that I transitioned into out of those bars, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before, into running a digital agency where we do podcasting and we're yeah. doing micro content for people. I saw my biggest months during the pandemic when the entire California music industry was shut down. I, and I, I, I definitely want to get into that. I, I, you know, I think that if you look back, there, there was there a moment. Um, after you, your dad said, good luck, figure it out. Um, yeah. Um, was there a moment that was kind of pivotal for you where you were like, okay, I think, I think, I think I'm getting some, I mean, dude, yeah. opening for Coolio is kind of a big deal. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah. but I mean, was there a moment where you're like, okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. And I'm making more money now than I was in that corporate gig. Yeah. So, um, the first few years with the band were pretty rough cause I was still figuring everything out, but I was able to lean on friends. Like I mentioned, my buddy, Brad yeah. always gave me a little couch to sleep on and he never really used his computer other than to like, listen to guns and roses songs. He was like a couple of years older than me. No offense to you guns and roses guys love him too. But, um, it was just interesting because he never used his computer to like create marketing or to create audio files or to create uh, photo files or posters or anything. And so I would always like go and I'd look up and do all this research on what we needed to download. And I'd be like, Hey man, I mean, this little program is only like four 99, but dude, look at all the stuff I can make with it. And he's like, you made that. I'm like, yeah, but the free trials up. And he'd be like, Oh dude, just, just put it on the Apple account. That was one of those guys wow. that understood what my long-term vision was, whether he was going to play bass for my band forever or not in his head didn't matter because he was like, saw the potential. I'm honest, not like stealing stuff out of his house or anything, but right. it's just like he could see the vision. And that's probably part of the reason why he's in a lot of pictures with me playing bass at like six flags or, you know, big venues here in Texas or wherever, because he saw that vision and was like, dude, you can definitely turn this into something. I'm just well, along for the ride. So you, you, but you started hitting your stride though. You, you really started. Yeah. I would say the pivotal moment was when I, it's sad, but when I quit doing that band and started focusing on Pat and then booked Pat four or five nights a week in St. Louis, and I was charging a hundred, 200 bucks a night. That's when I was like actually getting paid to do Pat and market right. Pat and get paid to be Pat. And that was when, I mean, in St. Louis, I, I did six, seven nights a week for about three years. So from like 2011, 12, 13, I was doing like six, seven nights a week. Um, and, wow. and it was like, I would DJ, I would play guitar, I would do whatever they needed. So that was another thing too. While I wanted to just play the guitar, the marketplace of the St. Louis West County area that I was marketing myself in, yeah. they wanted DJs. So, okay. You guys want me to click on songs? It's way easier than playing anything. So right. I was a lot of people that like know me from then were like, man, like you were such a great DJ. And in my head, I'm like, DJ, I'm not really a DJ. I'm just Pat. It was just, to me, it was just a sound gig yeah. because when you know where I came from, 
Right. That's all I'm doing is plugging in an output into a speaker system and clicking on play. And the funny thing about me as a DJ is I'm like really not that good at like running a turntable system. So I'll make announcements and be like, Hey, everybody, hope you're having fun. If you want to hear a song, just come up and let me know. And what I would do, dude, is I would run Spotify. So Spotify has every song on the freaking planet, right? So people would come up and be like, dude, will you play this uh, Tyga song, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, sure. And I would just drag it into the playlist. (laughs) Hey, will you play this Skrillex song? Just drag it into the playlist. So my playlist was based on what the audience actually wanted, not what I wanted to listen to. Amen, dude. That is a business lesson. Come on, dude. All you DJs out there that are like, people don't want to hear that. They want to hear what they want to hear. Now, if that's part of the song, great. More power to you. But like creators have this problem where they think that what they create has to be what everyone once when in reality people want what they want and as a creator your job is to deliver that that you know that's true for look if if grant cardone who's done five 10x growth cons now if he delivered a bunch of crap that people didn't want or need right he wouldn't be doing number six no way he wouldn't and so it, it goes it goes for every business like deliver what your customers want. It's so true. And, and as creators, we've got to know that. And, and so over the course of, a, of the years, you know, I was in St. Louis for a while and then I moved to San Diego for a while because San Diego kind of played to that play guitar thing a lot more than St. Louis because it's a little more hippy dippy, play your guitar, you know, by the beach and sing songs and stuff like that. But right. even in that scenario, people wanted to hear uh, Steve Miller or people wanted to hear the Beatles or people wanted to hear that. I still had to learn what people wanted to hear. Not necessarily. It wasn't necessarily the Pat Hilton show. It was me playing with those people wanted. And here's another lesson. Uh, the, the six to eight crowd likes something different than the eight Oh seven to 10 o'clock crowd. Okay. So like these moms and families would come in. I can't be just effing and gd and, and <laughs> yeah, no. shitting all over the place in the middle of dinner hour they're never going to have me back right but at like 7 42 when those people left and the drinking crowd came in okay well now it's a free-for-all right and right. now i can play the whole coolio list and the whole afro man list but again you have to understand what those two different dynamics look like yeah. Whether you're a DJ or a songwriter or a podcaster or whatever, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that your crowd wants to hear me drop a whole bunch of MFs this whole entire time. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of holding off on that because number one, I understand that it doesn't necessarily fit everything I say, but right. number two, some people, oh dude, I've played uh, the catalyst in Santa oh. Cruz. We used to play at the catalyst in Santa Cruz, this, this big auditorium, we did that with uh, with Afro Man and Coolio. I believe we did it with Cypress Hill. Maybe not, but we, I've played there many wow. times. That's one of my favorite towns in California. It's wow. not cheap, but boy, it's fun. But that <laughs> yeah. was the thing that I, I really started to learn was the more I just do what people ask me to do, the more money I make, the more people like me, the more people want me to come back. 
and I so can always simple. I can always fit my thing in there anyway. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But it it never got the same response. So if you so, want to get paid, you got to give the people what they want. At some point, you met your wife. We haven't even talked about that. So um, so in 2011 or so, she's gonna be like, oh my god, we met in this year. Um, <laughs> but in 2011 or so, I was doing a gig. I would DJ and, and my buddy would ask trivia questions. And so we booked it as like trivia dance night. Yeah. So like we would do trivia from like, again, like eight to 10. And then I would DJ from like 10 to 12. And then like the bar closed at like one anyway. Yeah. So like we, it turned it into like a double gig kind of thing. And she showed up on like Thanksgiving night or something drinking with my cousin. And so that's how we met at Fraley's pub. It was love at first sight. And this was in California? This was in St. Louis. Oh. And then when I moved to California, get this. Uh, so when I moved to California, we we moved into an apartment together. That was like the first time I ever had a place to live. And then um, <laughs> she had good credit and a job. So, um, <laughs> so we were living That's together awesome. for like a couple of years. And this was when I was traveling and doing those tours. Yeah. And then I was like, man, if I really wanted to, I remember calling her from San Diego. Yeah. Catalyst is a great club. Um, I called her from San Diego when I was on tour with Afro man. and was like, if I really want to do this big, I got, I got to get out of St. Louis because it's just, it's too comfortable. I'm also noticing that like that whole bar market is starting to change. So um, we're going to have to make some, you know, adjustments here. And we're going to have to figure out what this looks like moving forward. And I just don't think it includes me being in St. Louis right now. And so wow. I packed up. She's like, okay, that's fine. I can pack up my stuff and move into my parents' house while you figure out San Diego and get an apartment. But you got to figure it out. Wow. So um, I came back home from that tour. This was like 2013. And we packed up all our stuff and moved her into our, her parents' house. And then I moved out to San Diego and started sleeping on people's floors again wow. to get full-time gigs in California, which after about three or four months of me crushing every single open mic in San Diego and, and every farmer's market, I would play the farmer's markets, bro, to, to, to make uh, wow. $40 or something and like free food and got it to a point where I was doing five or six shows a week. And then she transferred her job out to San Diego and we moved into a place and got engaged. And, um, you know, we lived in that little one bedroom apartment for like three straight years till like, I don't know, 2016 or 2017. When was that growth con? 20 2018. Six was it 18, 16, 2016? I don't, I don't even remember anymore, but the moral of the story was, I remember we were living in that little one bedroom apartment. She was pregnant with our first kid. And I was like, all right, well, you got to figure out how to get around some high level people or yeah. this thing isn't going to last. You've been in this situation before where you had to adapt. What are we going to do to get around some people that are just plain better than you at business? And this again, creators struggle with this because they don't want to admit that anybody's better than them at anything. They think that they're the best at everything they do. Again, yep. there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. <clears throat> you can still be the best at what you do and not be the best at everything. So, um, uh, 
so he, anyway, I told you the story of he posted this thing on the internet of, Hey, if you're a creator, make me something yeah. on, on Instagram or whatever. I'm like, Oh, this is game over. Picked up the guitar, whipped up a little jingle, played it. Um, I sent it to Elena and, um, she's the one that got it to, to grant and they share, he shared that all over his pages. It got yeah. like hundreds of thousands of views on his channels. And I'm wow. like, oh shit, dude! If I can get on stage at this guy's 10x conference, it is game over. That's yep. the move I need right now. And so yeah. I kept making more and more and more and more songs. He kept sharing them. I start calling the office and emailing the office and messaging him on Instagram. And I'm like, did you gotta let me play? Just let me play the lunch breaks, bro. Let me play yeah. 10 minutes on the lunch break when nothing's going on. And he's yeah. like, yeah. And he never said no. He's like, hey, man, you know, reach out to uh, Sherry Hamilton or yeah. reach out to Dave Robards or reach. He's bouncing me all over the freaking office. Reach out to Steve Spray or whatever. And I'm like, dude, all you got to do is tell me yes. Just tell me yes. And this is where, again, gut check time. Right. So my wife's pregnant. Uh, I'm trying to close this deal. I'm like a nobody who plays full-time in bar corners in San Diego. And wow. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to close this guy? Like I got to close this deal. Wow. And pops up on my, um, uh, my newsfeed. It was like an advertisement, like a paid ad. And it was like the thrive make money matter event is happening in Las Vegas this weekend. And if you buy a ticket, to 10x, you get a free ticket to Thrive to see Elena speak in Las Vegas. And I'm like, Las Vegas. Let's see here. San Diego <laughs> to Las Vegas, 4.2 hours. I'm like, we're driving to Vegas this weekend, baby. Come on. <laughs> and my, my wife's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, we're going to drive to Vegas. We're going <laughs> to break into the event. And we're going to close Grant Cardone face to face. She's like, you've wow. lost your mind. You're out of your mind. I'm like, here's the deal. You can stay here and chill and relax. I'll go get the deal done. She's like, no, no, I'm not sitting here by myself with this baby in my stomach. If we're going to close Grant Cardone, then we're going to close Grant Cardone. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it was like a freaking brave heart moment. That's when, you know, you found the right woman. You're out Dude, there. That is so She's awesome. Like, if we're if we're gonna die for this, we're gonna die together. <laughs> so we drove to freaking Vegas. We had no money. We stayed at the shittiest hotel. It's called the Best Western. Do not stay at the Best Western across the street from Mandalay Bay. Save yourself, please. Trust me. It's terrible. Oh my God. With so we're staying. Wife. My pregnant wife is smoky. Wow. It was disgusting. We ate uh, Denny's. It was gross. And um. <laughs> So we roll, we roll into this hard rock cafe joint to close this guy. Right. I had messaged Elena earlier in the day so that they didn't think I was completely psycho, even though I am. And I yeah. said, Hey, you know, we happened to be in Vegas this weekend. You know, I know I've been following up a lot, but I wanted to talk to you guys about me playing wow. at the lunch break. Maybe we could catch up and meet each other. And wow. Elena being the angel that she is. Well, we have a really busy day today and I do have to speak tomorrow, but we will be at the Hard Rock for a VIP mastermind later this evening. There might be a chance you could catch Grant in between some of his activities then. I'm like, damn it, she likes me. Damn it, she's good. Damn it. 
You're a good woman, Elena. Yeah. And so uh, we rolled up, right? We Since he used he used to be like, if you're a hustler, come see me. Come say hi. He yeah. doesn't do that anymore. No, I think this doesn't. was the final straw for Cardone giving away his location. You <laughs> yeah, give your right. location away to James Bond, you're in trouble. And yeah. so, hey, you know, we're up here at the Mastermind at the uh, X Amount Suite at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe. All the VIPs are here. If you ain't here, you ain't a hustler. Come on. And I'm like, oh, dude, this guy is just throwing me softballs. Wow. I mean, I've been backstage with Tom Petty. I know how to get around in a venue. So we roll. <laughs> my wife and I roll up the escalator, right, to get up to this scenario. Oh and there's like security stacked up at the top of the escalator. And I'm like, right. oh goodness gracious hey uh so i'm I'm actually here i'm just catching grant cardone real quick and, and then we're out of here blah 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 and they're like dude if you're your name what's your name and i'm like looking at the list i'm like uh pat hilton and he's like yeah man you're not on the list looks like you don't have a wristband i can't let you in and i'm like <laughs> oh god and we so stayed at the best western I know. For this. so i go back down the escalator and my wife's like waiting on the other side of the uh hard rock because it's so smoky yeah right, and, and right. she kind of looks at me and she like gives me one of these and i'm like no guys. Uh, oh. she's like, i gotta go uh, yes, ridiculous. <laughs> and i'm like oh dude <laughs> this is not going well right now there's no way Oh that this God. is happening. I got to get up there somehow. And my buddy, Frank, I hear this somebody yelling. Cause again, I played tons of conferences for free up until right. this point, by the way, traveled sure. all over playing conferences for free with the guitar. And this, I hear somebody yelling the name of one of my songs and I'm like, Oh my God, where is that coming from? And it's my buddy, Frank, he's got this big, huge beard, Frank sell. He's probably on your Facebook page. Yeah. He I sells like hustle coffee or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, dude, what are you, what are you even doing here? And I'm like, listen to me, Frank. Okay. <laughs> listen. Yeah. He's like, what's wrong with you? Did you start, did you start smoking again? I'm like, very calmly, Frank. <laughs> I need you to take your green wristband off. I need you to put it around my wrist oh and my I need God. you to walk with me past that security guy, that guy right there, Brian. Brian is trying to stop God from the plan that he has for my family. And he's like, dude, here, here you go. He's like, we're on the list. Is, are you having a problem getting up there? I'm like, all I need to do, Frank, is close Grant Cardone on 10 X two. He's like, did you drive all the way here to curl, to close Grant Cardone? Because I had already oh, told yeah. him months ago at some other conference that I'm a close Grant Cardone, and he's seen the videos. Like, yeah, right. Oh, right. he knows what's happening. He's like, "Oh, dude, this is epic." You want me to film it? I'm like, "Don't film anything. People <laughs> will see it when I shred the lunch break in half." Right. All I have to do is get to Grant Cardone right now. So he dude. gives me his green wristband. Oh my God. Ocean's 11 style. I roll past <laughs> security, like in his mob of people that are on the list. I'm like, whoop, whoop. Oh, can't see me now. See me now. Can't see me now. Whoa. And so I'm in there hiding behind like a pillar, like with my like back to the pillar. And oh like, I see them like, Three minutes later, come out of the mastermind room and I just pop out from behind the pillar and I'm like, Uncle G, what's up, man? It's Pat Hilton, dude. I'm here to talk to you about the lunch break. And I can see Elena's like walking out a little bit behind him and I can see her face be like, oh my God, 
He, he got actually in. got in somehow. And I made sure I like kept my hands up like this <laughs> just because, I don't know, just throwing that out there. Hey, here they are. Hey, dude, so man, let's make this happen, bro. I'm, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm feeding the beast. I'm like reciting lines from all his book. Like, I'm obsessed. I'm not average. I'm 10X and baby, let's go. And he like kind of looks around and there's like a bunch of people now that are seeing that know me from Facebook and stuff. And they're like, dude, Pat Hilton, dude, you got to give him the deal. Uncle G, let him play. Let him play, Uncle G. And he's oh, like, hey, you guys think I should let him play? You know, he's got like a little Southern thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, y'all think I should let him play? Hey, spit some freestyles for me real quick. Come on, spit some freestyles for me. And I like start like rapping on his Instagram story. And I like crossed a couple lines and people are like, oh. And then he like spits a couple lines. They're like horrible lines, but everyone's like, oh, Uncle G. Oh. That's awesome, you know what I mean? Like dude. he could say anything and people would cheer for it. Right. But Elena kind of gets to us and I kind of like look at her and I kind of look at him. And now by this point, like my wife's standing at the escalator, like we're leaving. And I'm like, oh. dude, so in all realness, like my wife and I drove here, she's standing over there. She's pregnant with our child. We live in a small one bedroom apartment. I play five, six nights a week. I'm like getting emotional shit. I'm like starting to cry and I need this gig. Nobody takes my thing serious. You said the songwriting thing was brilliant. I've been doing this since I was a little kid, dude, making up songs and learning theme songs and stuff. And like, this is it. Like, I just know that if you give me this opportunity just to play the lunch breaks, people will take me seriously. It'll change the trajectory of not only my business, but my entire life. Wow. And I kind of looked at her and she kind of looked at him and looked back at me and like gave me one of these. And I'm like, what does any of this mean? She's like, I just love what you're doing. And he kind of looked at her again. She was like, like that whole, are you going to tell him? Yes. And he was like, Hey man, you got the gig, man. You got the gig. And he gave me the damn gig and he let me play. I didn't have Dude. a contract. I didn't have a contract or anything, just a handshake. I took a quick picture with him. I thanked him and I left. I, wow. by my word, all I'm here to do is close this deal. That's all. Awesome, my wife dude. had to walk through the whole smoky hotel. This is what it takes, dude. This is dude. what you talk about. And so I got the deal. I played that gig. I got sober because I was still playing in the bars, drinking and smoking a ton of weed. I'll just be real with yeah. it. Yeah. Then I'm over 920 days sober now. Um, and you. my digital marketing agency, we're doing, you know, we're going to do six figures this year, which for me, that's a huge step considering awesome. we were barely paying the bills a few years ago in a little one bedroom apartment. I got my own little custom studio set up here. It's and awesome. I mean, things are rolling, bro, but like it all comes down and there's a, there's a movie called every given Sunday. And there's this Al Pacino speech in that yeah. movie. If you don't watch anything from that movie, look up Al Pacino every given Sunday speech. And he talks about how the inches that we need are all around us. I don't think that there's anything more true than that because while everyone else in the San Diego music scene, this might sound harsh, was either playing at the bar, doing the same thing, or taking the weekend off and hanging out on the beach that weekend, we were out closing a deal in Vegas when we had no money. That's you know, the difference between the people that make it big and the people that stay in the same place. We were I, willing I, to die for that opportunity. Grant, Grant watches... I don't know about all of, but most of my shows. So I'm, I'm sure he's going to see this. That, and, that and whole dude, scenario changed 
everything for our entire family. We have two kids now. We're doing better than we've ever done before. I mean, you've been following me for a while, dude. This yeah. has not been some kind of, um, you know, easy gold rush story. We have a long way to go, but yeah. we're going to get there because those inches, we're willing to fight for those inches. I and love, that's the big I love lesson. it. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Um, first off, <clears throat> listening to your story took me back to 2014 when I, I went, I went, I got to do whatever it takes. Todd right. Straw was my rep. Steve and Steve and Todd closed me back in the day. <clears throat> and I was like, dude, I got to get with, I got to meet with Grant. And he's like, yeah, that's not happening, dude. I'm like, I spend a thousand dollars a month with you guys. What are you talking about? And he's like, bro, Grant, no offense, man, but Grant could drop a thousand bucks on the ground and not even care to stop and pick it up. Right. <laughs> I'm right. like, so that wasn't the angle, but I, I did figure it out. And and I, I it really, dude, your story is so freaking unbelievably intense. Let me ask you this question. What do you think? And, and this, I ask these, these two questions to every single person on, on the show. Number one, what do you think, in your opinion, holds people back from real success and happiness in life? Um. I think that uh, when people start to feel scared or they start to feel pain or they start to get uncomfortable or they start to think, hey, maybe this is a long shot, um, they instead of accelerating in those moments, they they peel back into the corner. And then what happens is that they take more hits. They take more shots. I relate a lot of entrepreneur and success. I grew up watching ESPN classic boxing with my dad. Yeah. And we, we sat around and watched all these Muhammad Ali fights, Mike Tyson, marvelous Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, um, the Roberto Durans, the Floyd Mayweathers, the, um, and, and all these matchups. And what I noticed about the Haglers or the uh, Ali's, um, the biggest guys that I thought were the best and rest in peace, marvelous Marvin just passed away by the way. Um, but was when they were cut or they were hurt, they almost got more aggressive and better and they would put you away quicker because once they got uncomfortable or they started to feel pain, they knew that it, they're already in pain. So they might as well get a reward for it. Right. Yeah, I'm already cut. They're either going to stop this thing. If you watch the Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns fight, they're either going to stop the fight or I'm going to knock this guy's head through the ropes. And I think <laughs> that I think that that's the way we have to think is that like when you're hurt or you're or you're down on cash. The only way out of that is to is to accelerate and to find solutions going back into the corner and, and hiding and covering up is not the solution. You've got to land more punches. You've got to put points on the scoreboard. And I think that people get scared and, and they, and they cower in the corner instead of saying, okay, well hit me a couple more times because the one I'm going to hit you with is going to end this entire thing. And so yeah. that was the way I always looked at it is okay. Well, if, if you're at this level, 
and, and you're sucking, well, that means you got to go to this level. And then, and then it's, and then you start, you get to that level and you're like, all right, well, this is starting to suck again. And then that level almost goes back to, well, this is only like a four of my potential. And so then right. you raise it up a little more, but then that, yep. that struggle kind of starts to come back. Cause with, with, it's like an old notorious BIG line, like more money, more problems, yep. more success, more issues, more, more pain, more resilience. Like the more hits you take, the better you get at shaking off those punches or rolling off those punches in life and the, and the harder of, of a blow you're able to deliver as a, as a power shot. And so I, I think that it's all about momentum. I yeah. had already built a ton of momentum going into meeting that dude. I had closed Madonna's team, Tom Petty's team, the Aerosmith team on just Pat. If you go back and you look at the story, he didn't book the guitar guy that night. He booked me the real me, the guy that said, I'm willing to die to get this opportunity because it's going to change my life. If you're really about the hustler, wow. if you're really about the guy that's willing to do anything, he's standing right in front of you. And I'm not going away. It's either yes or no. I can handle whichever one you're going to give me, but I need a final answer now. My wife is going to kill me regardless. <laughs> she walked through smoke, pregnant. And so I think that most people will message a Cardone or make a song for a Cardone or, or do yeah. this. They land a couple shots. They're ahead on points. But when it gets into the freaking what we call championship rounds, yep. you know, round 10, 11, and 12, when you're dog tired and your eyes busted and the game's on the line, like how hard are you throwing shots then? Right. Because that's Dude. when the that's when the bad mofos show up and knock people out. And so I think that, well, I'd love to be able to be a, a first to third round KO artist. Most of us aren't right. No. It takes 12 <laughs> rounds to get the victory, man. It does. And so man. I think that's the difference. I think people are really excited when they start any journey like this, like the 75 hard thing, like it's day nine. I got to stay as excited on day nine as I am on day 70, or I'm not going to get the results that I want out of the program. Yep. I have to be excited today, just like I was when I was 26 years old, sleeping on Brad Griffin's floor, or I'm not going to get the job done today. Amen. God. So I, I think so it's a good. gut check. And that's why I think it, it's not for everybody. You know, I, 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 interestingly enough, I mean, you started talking a little bit about 2020 and everything that happened. And, you know, I think, uh, the and this leads into my my last question for you but the the i remember a time when uh, one of my employees walked in my office and said hey uh, there's a dude looking in the the windows of your suv out in the parking lot and i'm like bro you're like three times my size go out there and kick his ass i mean wh <laughs> why, why are you telling me and he goes well he's got it blocked with his tow truck i was like, oh no. And it was like this bad day, man. I I'll never right. forget that moment. Like I, I, all my employees were getting paid, but I wasn't. And I'm sitting there going, this, this life is over. Like this sucks. Right. And, and you know, a lot of people in 2020, man, they crashed and burned. The suicide rates went through the freaking roof and, and, you know, there's, there's still residual 
problems for people. Absolutely. What do you say to somebody that's barely hanging on by a thread and they're saying, Pat, I've done everything I freaking know how to do and it's not working. I can't feed my family. I'm struggling. My car was repoed. The electric's getting shut off. What would you say to that person to give them hope to get them through to the next moment? Um, well, something that you said, I think is important. I think that sometimes we feel like we've done everything. I think there's always something else that we can do. So while I've been in that situation where I, I've done everything with this guitar thing, I played at the 10 X event, I did this and that and the other thing. Okay. Well, what, what have you done with the podcasting thing? What have you done with uh, offering social media management? You're clearly really good at managing your social media or you wouldn't have gotten those gigs. Sometimes you have to like look at what you haven't offered and make that the offer. There's a skill or a strength that you have that you are overlooking because to you, maybe it just feels like a routine or just something that you do as a habit. It's just something I got to do. Well, it's something everyone has to do. Everyone should be updating their social media and everyone should be on interviews like what Ken's doing. Everyone should be doing this. I was already doing it as a musician live streaming. Why don't I take this, put myself in a corner box and start talking about real estate, which I know nothing about with an expert that can answer people's questions. And now all of a sudden I took myself from broke musician to paid producer. You've got to think in those situations, what's the solution? What am I doing that did work that got me here? And how can I utilize that skill, but just shift it over two, three, 4%. And now boom, you blow through the hole because the hole's here. The hole's here. It's, it's stopping you. The obstacles here. How do I get around it? Just a little shift, man. Little shit. Now you can see my face. Now you can't. If I keep <laughs> if I keep hammering here, this isn't working. You can't see me. This isn't working. You can't see me. But I'm like, okay. Well, what if I just shift just a little bit over to here? Well, now the vision it opens up and you jump through. So um, this is something Bradley taught me, by the way, is that sometimes you've got to set things down to pick up the next thing that's coming to you. And so for me. That was the guitar. This guitar thing's great, dude. You're awesome. I mean, you can like pick up a guitar and like make a song up. Like it's crazy. Yeah. But I think you're kind of hanging on to it a little too much. You need to set that down and pick up all these other skills that got those guitar gigs booked. How'd you get yeah. booked with Coolio? I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I like sold tickets and did marketing and made videos and voiceovers and all this. It's like had nothing to do with the guitar, did it? Right. No, that's your business. Yeah. That's your shift. Now we're a digital marketing agency and we're, we're about to, you know, we're on the cusp of onboarding some new clients that are huge, massive. And it's like three years ago, I had to make a decision that it's not all about the guitar because I was hitting that same roadblock. Even yep. after 10X, I'm like, dude, this I'm playing six, seven nights a week, banging my head against the wall. I'm still in the drunk stoner environment. What am I going to do? 
that conversation, that thought process, I think even Russell Brunson mentioned, or Kevin Anson, I think I was in an event with Russell Brunson and Kevin Anson is a video guy who you should have on the show. He's great, by the way. And he was like, dude, you just got to make a menu. Like you're only selling the double cheeseburger right now. You got to have a milkshake and a French fries and a chicken sandwich and a turkey sandwich. You've got all these skills, but you're only offering, you're only going for this one thing that you like to do. You got to expand it. You're me doing this right now is almost the same as playing a live music gig. It's just, I don't have a guitar plugged in. Well, and you know, you get on shows like this. I, I mean, I'm interviewed, I'm being interviewed later today too. And you know, you get on shows like this and, and, and it, it's what Grant says. Money follows attention. You got to get attention. And I'm going to do something. I have a digital marketing agency too, Good. but I don't, I don't, I, I, dude, we live in a world of massive abundance. So yeah. what's your website? I'm going to pop it up on screen. It's uh, acousticforcemedia.com or you I can check out. That. How about just pathilton.com and you can click to social media services from there. How about that? PatHilton.com, PatHilton.com. <laughs> See, I love it. You made it easy for me. But that's the thing. That. It's just like I had to adapt. And so I would say to anyone who's in that situation, they're banging their head against the wall. It's like, okay, well, what got me here? And, yeah. and how can I use those skills to like break out into different categories of what I'm good at and 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 kind of create new opportunities? Like Ernest just said, it's just like, man, just got to keep going, man. Yeah. Assess, revamp, make things better, find new solutions, use those skills, remix those skills. Just like I did with the guitar. I was like a classic rock singer, but I'm like, I can use these same notes to remix rap tunes, to play to this audience. That's completely different from my background. And it totally worked because I was willing to adapt. That's the name of the game. It's freaking awesome, dude. Where so, where's the best place for everybody to follow you on social? Facebook, Instagram? Yeah, I mean if you go to padhilton.com it's got, it's got all the links. We got a podcast show we do called Business and Buds. We should definitely get you on there to chat sometime awesome. and yeah. we do a lot of social media for people. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, um Twitter, I'm everywhere. I I I encourage people to take advantage of these platforms. They are free to use. Yeah. Um, and whether you use a social media management company or not, there's a lot of free tools you can use to automate your process. I encourage everybody to look into that. There's free resources like buffer.com, Hootsuite, um, a lot of different apps that you can download to post to multiple um platforms at one time. And some people would say, Oh, I need to be reformatting and doing this different on well, if you're posting nothing then just post the same thing because it's better than nothing. So while I do agree with that argument to a certain degree, it's like, well, if you're posting nothing and you're saying, I need to be posting different stuff on all platforms, <laughs> just post something. So Dude, name yeah. of the game is attention. Like you said, use these social media platforms as, to, as like batting practice for getting better at writing copy, getting better at getting on camera, getting better at writing songs or drawing or being the landscape expert or whatever it is that you want to do. Pick up your camera and like be that expert for people. Dude. Uh, amazing. Absolutely freaking mind blowing interview. You are you're literally, you're a real life rock star, dude. Hey, you I, know, I, it worked out <laughs> yeah. so far. And it, and it, and it still is, man. I, I, I'm honored that you, um, I want to say thank you for coming on. And 
I'm honored you took the time and invested so much energy and wisdom to, to everybody watching and listening. So, um, and thank you to everyone who's watched and shared this out. If you shared this out there, there are extra gold fixtures for you in heaven or something. I, I don't know, but thank they're you. out there for you. They're for, out there for you. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. I Absolutely. It. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks everybody for watching. Appreciate it. Stay with me. Don't hang up on me. I'll be, we'll be right back. I'm going to close this out. Thank you guys. We'll see you guys all tomorrow. Have a great day.